0: Welcome to Meaning Over Money, a different kind of financial podcast where money is never about money. Welcome. Thank you so much for tuning in. We are so excited to have you here. We hope you're having an awesome week. And regardless of when you're listening to this, we hope this episode adds value to your journey. I recently had the honor of speaking to, I think it was upwards of a thousand eighth and ninth grade students. And it was so much fun. I'm always grateful for the opportunity to spend time with young adults and to share some ideas and perspectives with them. And I was asked to speak about work, but more specifically, work that matters. And the school wanted me to talk through a different lens, which is what we do here at Meaning Over Money. We, we talk and think about work and money through a different lens, and as I'm talking to these students and seeing the engagement level on their faces, I'm thinking to myself, not only should we be sharing this message with the students, but I want to share this message with the parents of the students. Maybe even taking it a step further. All parents. I think this message is for all parents. Now, me, myself, I have twin First graders, I'm a parent myself. What I'm saying in this episode, I believe deeply, and it's at the core of how I parent my own children, but I also come from a background where I spent 10 years as a volunteer youth group leader at a local church, and so young adults are at the center of, of, of what I believe in, in in the audience that I, I care so deeply for. And, and as you listen to this episode, please don't hear me being condemning. That's not the intent. The intent of this episode is to be encouraging and to m- be motivating. I care deeply about families and young people and the future because I believe in this generation. We like to, to, to dump on this generation. We call them lazy and entitled I think this generation is going to change the world. I believe that deeply. So from one parent to another, I can't wait to see what our kids collectively do to to shape our world in the years to come. I want to give you a statistic to start. And I shared this with the students that day. A recent poll shows that 70%, 7-0, 70% of Americans dislike or hate their job. Holy cow. 70%. That's a staggering statistic. Considering we adults get to do anything we want, we have the freedom to pursue the life that we want, the American dream, 7 out of 10 of us wake up in the morning dreading or are merely tolerating what we're about to do. And not only that, but work, we spend half of our waking hours at work for 30 or 40 years. Now, if I'm a young adult and I'm learning, and I'm hearing this and I'm watching it play out with adults in my life, that seven out of 10 adults are going to dislike or hate their job. They're going to spend half their waking hours doing it for the next Three, four, five decades. That sounds terrible. I'm not sure I would want to become an adult. But I wanted to be encouraging. Because if 70% of Americans dislike or hate their job, it means that 30% like or love their job. And my invitation is for all people, young and old, to join that 30% camp. I believe we can all be in that camp. So first, I, wanted, I want to talk about how did we get here? How do we live in such a free economy and we have, we have so many opportunities and freedoms and just everything is structured in such a way that we have choices, but yet we end up in this place of 70% of us disliking or hating our jobs. And this isn't based on income, by the way. The studies are very clear. It's not that the richest people like or love their jobs and the the people that make less don't. It cuts equally, almost, almost dead across the board. This isn't an income. So how do we get here? There's three reasons, I believe. Number one, we culturally treat work as a necessary evil. It's something we have to do. We must work if we want to pay the bills. We must work if we want to put a roof over our head, feed our family, be able to do some fun things. We have to work. And it's even in our language. We're hanging with somebody and we never say, I get to go to work. You say, no, I, I have to go to work. I need to leave because I have to go to work. And the idea that work sucks, it's kind of inherent from an early age. And I use the example with the students. I asked them, how many of you have had a job? A lot of hands raised. And I said, okay, keep your hand raised if you've had a job that's just pretty terrible. Most hands stayed up. Because, I mean, adults, I mean, you know what I'm talking about. Some of those early jobs are not fun. They just aren't. That's the nature of them. But that's our entry point into work. Is having a job that's just not great. We don't enjoy going. And that's the beginning point. And that's the beginning of this journey of work being a necessary evil. So culturally... We're taught that work is a bad thing. And I don't think that could be further from the truth. I think work is inherently good. I think work is awesome. I think work is something we get to do. I think it's an opportunity to serve others, to do something that matters, maybe even have some fulfillment in our work. So number one, work is a necessary evil. Number two, work is supposed to suck because that's, that's what we've learned. And number three, this is the one I want to land on for a second. This is the one that's at the heart of my work as a writer, speaker, uh, a financial coach. There is a notion in our culture that money will make us happy. And saying that money will make us happy is like saying the sky is blue. Duh! Of course it will. Of course money's going to make us happy. That's it's so obvious because that's. That's a universal truth in our society, except the science doesn't back that up. Here's what the science shows. The science shows that money makes us really, really happy until our needs are met. And then once our needs are met, money doesn't make us that much happier. And this makes sense. It makes sense that this is true because if if you don't have running water, you you don't have a a roof over your head, you don't have food to eat, your well-being will be significantly impaired. Absolutely true. But here's what happens. Early in our careers, when we're, you know, broke college kids, a lot of us, or, or we're coming out of high school, we're trying to carve our own path, we don't have a lot. So more money makes us happier because our needs aren't really fully met yet. And then as our needs become met, we become happier. Thus, we've connected more money with more happiness. But what, what, what we do in our heads is we play mental gymnastics and we think to ourselves, if that made us happy to get to this point, that line will, will increase in perpetuity. But that's just not the case. In reality, that line tapers off. But this is the trap. This is the curse of more. And the problem with more is that more is still, well, it's more. And this is one of the reasons, in my opinion, so many of us adults find ourselves in a spot where we dislike or hate our jobs because we're pursuing a life of more. And that's not even said in a way that's I'm trying to demonize people or make them sound selfish or greedy. That's not often the case. The reality is, We make choices because we think if we can provide a better life, our lives are better. But I think we need to disconnect standard of living from quality of life. Just because our standard of living is going up, it doesn't mean that our quality of life is. And that's the road we find ourselves going down. And so if money's not going to make us happy, what will? Well, studies show three things are deep and meaningful relationships. This is universal, whether we're young or whether we're more mature. Number two is generosity. And number three is work that matters. Work that matters makes us happy. And that's the thing about work that matters All work matters, but not all work matters to me and not all work matters to you. And the work that matters to you might not matter to me, and the work that matters to me might not matter to you. That's the catch in all of this. But we live in a culture that says, this work matters more because it pays more and it has more status. Thus, we chase that road, perhaps, leading to more but leading to a less satisfied life. I believe young people and you, but I believe these young people that I had the privilege of speaking to, I believe they deserve better. And so here's, here's what I told them. Here's the formula that I use in my own life. And I I use it with clients all over the country, all over the world. Here is where we go with this. Three things we need. We need to use our gifts, our inherent abilities, the things that we're skilled at, combine them with our passions, which is things that matter to us, in a way that's profitable. And I want to talk about each one of those briefly. So we take our gifts, combine it with our passions in a way that's profitable. Number one, our gifts. We are all uniquely gifted. We have skills and abilities that, It's a, it's a, it's a bit of a genius that we each possess and everybody's different. But the thing about gifts is that we often don't recognize our own gifts, especially young people. Either they haven't come into their own yet, or they're not fully developed, or they don't have the self-confidence. But the problem with gifts is that we don't know their gifts because they're easy to us. It's hard to think that you're gifted at something when you think it's just an easy thing. But that's what makes it a gift because it's easy to us, not to others. It's hard to see that sometimes. And we might not see it, but the people around us do. And I encourage the students, ask your friends, ask your family. They know what you're gifted at, even if you don't. Now our passions, every step of the way, we are told to take our passions off the table, and passions are things that excite us, that are, that, that are enjoyable, that make us angry, that move us, things that make us feel, things that drive us. We're told to put them away. We're told to take them off the table, let them go, get rid of it. It doesn't matter. Those things don't matter. You need to go get a safe job. You need to get a job that pays more. You need to get a job that's secure. in every step of the way through our whole lives, and you probably experienced it, I sure did. And I know these students are as well. When we're kids, we have all these dreams and aspirations, and I want to be this, and I want to be that. And every step of the way, it gets stripped from us. And I ask the students, And I ask my clients, I ask my peers, anybody that will listen, I'll ask people please don't take it off the table. Let it be on the table. Maybe you won't pursue it. Maybe that's not your career. But don't take it off the table just because. Number three, to combine them in a way that's profitable. Profitable does not mean we're going to be a billionaire. It doesn't mean that we're going to take over the world. Profitable means that we earn the right to keep doing what we're doing. We're able to make a living doing what we love to do, doing what serves a bigger purpose, doing something that means something. We earn the right this month to keep serving those next month who we wish to serve. I think it's such a powerful concept. And I think a lot of people have, they have a couple of these. I think a lot of people have a couple of these and I want to share what this, and then what I did is I showed the students, I put it on the screen. I had a Venn diagram, three circles that overlap, they intersect. And there's a couple different combinations that are very common in our culture. And I, I gave them a name. I don't know if I stole those names or if I made them up. I don't know. If I stole them, I'm sorry. They're the names that popped into my head. But if you have gifts and passion, but it's not profitable, that's called a hobby. And it's okay to have a hobby. Hobbies are good. Hobbies are fun. Hobbies add a richness to our life. But that's not that's not a combination for work that's sustainable. The second one, if you have gifts in something and it's profitable, but you don't have a passion, that's called the dread zone. That's where you can make a living doing it and maybe you're even good at it, but you feel nothing. You wake up every day merely tolerating or dreading what you're about to do. This is the 70% camp. This is where most adult Americans are living today. The third is you have passion for something and you can make a profit doing it, but you don't have the giftedness to pull it off. I call this the failure zone. There's a lot of things in my life that would qualify me for the failure zone. I would love to do it, And I could make a good living doing it, but I just don't have what it takes. And if that's the case, you have two options. Number one, you can find something different. Here's the example I used. I grew up in Northwest Illinois uh, in the 90s. My entire middle school and high school years were spent watching Michael Jordan and the Bulls win championship after championship after championship. My, my whole my whole existence was, I need to get out of high school so that I can go help Mike. I'm going to go help Mike. He needs my help. We're going to win some more titles together. I wanted to be a basketball player. Uh, I stopped growing at 5'9". Turns out I wasn't big enough, fast enough, or strong enough. It wasn't in the cards for me. In that case, I had to go find something different. That particular aspiration was never going to fall in all three sections of the Venn diagram. But the second option, if we don't have the skills, maybe we can develop them. Maybe we're not naturally gifted, but we can develop it through some form of education, repetition, just growing into it. And for, in, in my example with the kids, I use the example of my speaking career. Speaking is my biggest fear in life. I, I used to get physically ill before I would speak. And I decided at some point, I, I have a passion for speaking, and I know I can be profitable, but I don't have the skill set. So I could either abandon it, like I abandoned my dream of joining Michael Jordan on the Chicago Bulls championship team, or I could develop that skill and feed into it. And that's the path I took. Now, will I ever be the greatest speaker in the world? I don't know. Maybe not. But my job is not to, de- my job is not to predetermine where I'm going to land. My job is to continue to pursue what I need to pursue. So those are the the intersections, but the, the last intersection is this. We have gifts, we have passions, we combine them in a way that's profitable, that's meaning. That is work that matters. And maybe this work pays us a ton of money. Maybe it doesn't. But if you wake up every day and you are excited for what you're about to do, not because it's fun, because it's often not, but because it matters. And this is a distinction I think we need to to mention. Work that matters does not mean fun, enjoyable work. It means meaningful work. It means doing work that matters. There's a big difference. Some days my work is fun, a lot of days it's not. It's stressful, it's hard, it's draining but it matters. That's the meaning zone. When we wake up, we know that what we're about to do matters to us. Here's the even better news for young adults today. There's never been a better time in our society to be entering the workforce. Things aren't perfect, but the world has never been smaller. Technology has never been better. And I use the example, if you want to DM Taylor Swift by the time we walk out of this room, she could see it. What a world that is. You can literally connect with any person on this planet in a matter of seconds. These platforms are free. The opportunity to go and, and share something worth sharing or to to, to go to YouTube and, and ask a question. And within three seconds, you can learn any topic that you can ever think of for free in the comfort of your own home on your device. The opportunities are abound. That's why I'm so excited for this generation. And that's why I want to encourage people, young and old, to pursue work that matters. I believe in this concept. And as parents, that's our, our job is to help navigate that. Many of us are going to navigate our kids into the 70% camp. Maybe it's a good income. Maybe they get status. Maybe it's security. That's on the table. That's not a bad life. We should be grateful for the work that we have. And if we have a good, safe, secure, decently paying job, that's great. So good. But I think we deserve more. I think we deserve better. And by more I don't mean more money and more status. By more I mean better. And I want to wake up in a world where all of these people, they wake up, they wake up in the morning and they're excited for what they're about to do because their work matters. And we as parents have the opportunity to steer our kids and show them that that world does exist. I'm absolutely going to be doing this with my kids. I am doing this with my kids. And I hope you join me. I hope that this entire generation can turn the 30% camp into the 70% camp. Let's shift the culture. Let's turn this thing on its head. And let's equip and enable and encourage this next generation to live a life of meaning. That's all I have today. Take care, guys.